Welcome, everyone, to the Classic Camera Revival. Right into uh, 2021, as promised, we're continuing with interviews with some really, really cool photographers from not only from our film community here in Toronto, but uh, from film communities uh, all over the world. And we certainly look forward to the opportunity to talk uh, with a lot of different photographers as we lead up to our 100th episode. I'm joined uh, with John Meadows today and a really, really cool Toronto-based film photographer who's kind of burst on the scene since, since about uh, maybe three or four years ago. Uh, and we'd love to welcome Alexandria Yar. And I hope I pronounced that correctly. You sure did. Thanks so much, James. It's a pleasure Excellent. to be Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. All right, welcome back, everybody. As I mentioned uh, before, I am joined. John Meadows and I are joined with really cool film photographer from Toronto, Alexandria Yar. Alexandria. Your five-syllable name, so I'm going to butcher it all in all kinds of forms today, so I'm going to ask for uh, preemptive forgiveness, but why don't we get started? Um, I know you joined the scene uh, or started shooting film photography, or at least started publishing your work sometime around 2016 or so, was that? Is that correct? Yeah, um, I picked up my first film camera in, uh, I believe it was in November of 2016, and I've been hooked ever since. Oh, that's terrific. So um, tell us, how did you get started? So I saw that my dad still had um, his father's camera as a Voigtlander Perkyo 2 folding rangefinder from the 50s. I loved the aesthetic of it and just felt uh, drawn to, to learning about that. My dad had a dark room in the home I grew up in. Loved to, to shoot cameras in, in all their forms, but um, certainly was focused on, on film um, when I was growing up. And I took the opportunity to, to learn from him. I picked up some rolls of film and he showed me the ropes. And from that moment on, I was, I was hooked. I've got to say a bit of a coincidence because uh, that's how, how I got started. My, my father had a Voigtlander Vito B, 35 millimeter from the late 50s. And that was the first good camera that I had. So tell us about your initial experiences with film photography. How did it go? Lots of mistakes, uh, lots of trial and error. Um, it's It's been good. I consider myself uh, a recovering perfectionist, and it's been the perfect medium for me to embrace imperfection, um, just accept the flaws as they come and chalk it up to, to a learning experience. Um, and it's it's been this amazing way to... Um, express myself and communicate the, the beauty that I see with other people. Um, and I find it really rewarding. That's terrific. Um, I've uh, spent some time taking really long looks at your work and, um, and as we've chatted before, probably getting far too cerebral about what I see, but I really do enjoy the bulk of your portfolio. I think it's really, really cool. And you seem to have this knack or vision for finding really cool images and sort of everyday life that that the people kind of see would you consider yourself like i'm not sure if you had any artistic training or 
is this something that's more instinctual to you? Maybe kind of tell us a little bit about how you approach your work and does it change depending on, on what you're trying to achieve in the end? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so my style is probably best described as beauty in the mundane. Um, sometimes I'm drawn to color, sometimes to lines or shadows and light. Um, sometimes I'm just trying to capture a feeling. Um, my process itself, I don't have any um, formal training. Um, so I guess it's it's more instinctive. I practice meditation, mostly mindfulness, um, and more recently been exploring um, loving kindness meditation. And that's played a big part along with photography in changing how I see the world. I think in slowing down, being mindful and present and having a, a mindset of gratitude, um, it became quite easy to see the beauty in, in simple everyday things and these mundane moments that we all have that make up the bulk of our lives. And yeah, and learning to really appreciate those moments and those things that other people might overlook as, as ugly or not worthwhile, um, I would just be drawn to photograph them. And that uh, sort of feeds into our next question about the applicability and, and, and how photography can help with things like uh, mental health or specifically bipolar. How does photography help you? How does it fit into your life in that respect? Yeah. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with my work, um, I am quite public on my platform um, that I do uh, have the diagnosis of type 2 bipolar. Uh, so it's a mood disorder on the bipolar spectrum. I haven't always um, had it play a part in my, my art. Uh, a photographer I met through Instagram in the film community, uh, Sean Augustin, is a, a combat veteran and he is, is uh, type 1 bipolar. And he was posting um, some incredible work about his treating art as therapy, I suppose, and how it's helped him uh, process and, and share his experience with, uh, with his diagnosis. And that sparked something in me that, that I could, could do the same. So yeah, photography's changed me or uh, helped me in a few ways um, in changing my mindset, like I've, I've said before, learning patience, practicing mindfulness, um, being more forgiving of myself when I make mistakes, um, which are uh, not exactly few and far between with this, this medium for me, especially with, with no training. But yeah, all things that have helped me as I learned to, to manage my illness. Um, but I think more meaningfully, um, photography provides me means of processing and communicating my my experience with the illness, um, which can be incredibly cathartic. It also has the potential to positively impact someone else in the way that I was impacted by Sean's work. So for someone that's, that's facing their own mental health struggles, I think, I mean, I consider myself to be in a position of, of privilege um, in general in my life, as well as how the illness impacts me. I'm still able to work full time. I have amazing access to healthcare here in Canada. And I hope that I can speak out against the stigma, um, that what I create can humanize the condition um, for those who don't have um, experience with mental health struggles of their own. And for those who can relate, that hopefully they feel understood and a little bit less alone. That is a really cool philosophy and, and so, so interesting. And I completely agree with what you're saying, because I think what what really struck me uh, in our conversations has been uh, you're a natural at the art of seeing, in my opinion. And, and I think that is such an incredible gift. And, you know, despite 
you know, and, and, and everybody has challenges in, in their lives and, and you are one that takes or is comfortable in, in expressing those to other people. And I, and, I, and I think it's because you probably recognize that the more you talk about whatever's bothering you or affecting you or impacting you uh, is the first step in towards healing or um, if it's not healing, it's dealing Um you know, and coping, and that—that's incredible, and uh, and I think that's why, at least in my humble opinion, is is that you are drawn towards um, so many of the beautiful things that we don't consider beautiful because we see them every day, day in, day out, and what's ordinary to most is different that uh, to somebody that has a really like distinct talent to take photos and to find beauty in those mundane everyday items. So that's terrific. I really think the more that people embrace who they are, it really translates in, into their work. And, and for me, your work is a like a just a prime example of who you are. And I think it's really cool. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's something to be said for photographing those grand, beautiful moments, the, the gorgeous landscapes, the um, beautiful portraits and, and life moments that, that we can capture. But life, for the most part, is those those small, boring uh, moments in between. For so sure. To take the time to, to notice that and appreciate that um, is what makes life worth living. I think you raise a really good point. Like, yes, like and anyone, you know, can capture a decent, a decent uh, looking, you know, sunset picture, you just have to be in the right place at the right time. But I think back to, you know, photographers like Irving Penn, Arthur Penn, I forget his name. I think it was, he, he, he did some famous still lives of uh, cigarette butts in the 1960s. And if you can make a picture work with three cigarette butts, then you're doing really well. Yeah, I, I like I said, I've never seen the coin slot of a washing machine look so intriguing in my life. So yeah. <laughs> you are you definitely have a gift and thank you for sharing that gift. That that is amazing. And you know, just kind of leading into sort of our next question. And my personal philosophy is I believe photography to master it is you need to master the art of seeing first. How do you see these things? Like is it I know you mentioned like, you know, you're not formally trained, you're not an artsy kind of person. Yeah, I, I personally think you're probably a natural born artist and, and and you're just coming to realize that now in your life. But um, how does, like, do you just see these things? Do you study particular works? What do you, do you do any prep, stuff like that? For for personal projects, um, there is some some prep involved. A lot of my work, my travel photography, my local um work around Toronto is just uh, more so of a casual approach. I think from the very beginning, I, I was influenced by my dad. I was thinking recently back to that that first day when we shot together and things he was pointing out to me, the way that, that lines were in the frame or um, certain things that he was drawn to. I think I've, I've picked up on that in a, a way that hasn't been as apparent to me as, as I realized recently, um, it's been a, a big impact on, on my style, but it's, it's not a deliberate process for me. Yeah. It's just, I see it and, and I, I go for the shot. I have an idea in my mind of how it's going to, um, how I want it to look and, um, hopefully express that beauty to other people. 
are you like pre-visualizing your shots kind of like just before the moment or are you do you get like an idea in your head and then kind of chase it down do a little bit of research or are you just kind of shoot from the hip kind of let's get out there and see what we find kind of girl or yeah uh i'm i'm more the the shoot from the hip type for sure you mentioned your travel photography and i know you had recently published an incredible set uh, of images from a trip to vietnam um tell us a little bit about that how long were you there like what did you have to prepare what were the challenges like um, yeah, so I spent three weeks in Vietnam uh, just at the beginning of 2020. I was lucky to do some traveling before the world's kind of shut down. Um, I was there for a friend's wedding, um, but the majority of the trip I was traveling on my own, uh, which afforded me a lot of opportunities of uh, quality time with my camera. Um, I packed about 60 rolls of film. I ended up shooting 34. Um, I was shooting my Canon AE-1. Um, Were there any challenges, um, uh, it, it, like just logistically, like bringing all that film and then like getting around shooting? Um, I've never traveled to Vietnam and certainly I'm a little familiar, you know, with the history and, and certainly, you know, with the Vietnam War and the influence of communism and that sort of thing. Are there any uh, remnants of, of those kinds of troubles? And obviously it's a completely different society, I would imagine, than what we're used to in North America. Yeah, it was definitely uh, a culture shock for sure. Um, in terms of the history, I'm not much of a history buff. I know obviously there is such a, a rich history there. Um, what draws me to a place more is is the food, the culture, the people, um, architecture, which of course is going to um, play a part in the history of things. But um, that's what I tend to be drawn to, to photograph. Um, I did have some difficulties in terms of blending in. Um, I'm almost six feet tall, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. So I stick out like a sore thumb. In so just the girl like next that. door. In, in <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So for the most part as a photographer, I do like to blend in. Um, but some of my photo favorite photographs that I took in Dalat, um, I was caught in the act and um, the reaction is what made the photo. Um, a, a busker playing violin is just making eye contact with, with my lens and um, absolutely love that photo. Uh, some vendors selling strawberries uh, posing for the shot as a scooter uh, tears by in the foreground. Um, those are some of my favorites and um, probably one of my favorite shots I've ever taken. Um, it was in Hue in the Imperial City, and there was a group of monks, which was not uncommon to see, uh, Theravada Buddhist monks in their bright orange robes. Um, of course, I had just changed out the role of Sinistil for a role of, I think it was T-Max. Um, so my opportunity to capture those orange robes was lost. Um, so while all the other tourists were trying to sneakily grab pictures on their, their iPhones and what have you. Um, I just decided to, to get closer and not really sure what my plan was, but walked past this group. Uh, and one of the, the gentlemen in this, this group called out to me and asked me my name. Um, and even when I asked his name in, in return, he didn't speak enough English to even understand what I was asking, despite the fact that it was the same question he had just asked me. Um, and I asked to take his portrait, um, and, and their guide translated, and he allowed me to, to take his portrait. And it's, it's one of my favorite photos I've ever taken. 
These are some incredible images from Vietnam, and we've talked about like some of the the people images. I'm drawn to a lot of the images that almost have a formal still life quality about them. Like the picture of the uh, I think the beverages on the table. I think were there a, a couple of pictures of uh, of beer glasses, or even things like there's there's a line of motor scooters, and there's another picture with I believe three boats in the water, and there's a neat kind of formalism. How do those pictures or how do those scenes catch your eye? Um, just trying to capture uh, how different life is is there from from what I'm used to here in here in Toronto, and and some of it is is more so a travel journal. I mean, even the book that I created um, when I returned, um, I've called it Vietnam: A Travel Journal on 35 millimeter. Um, so some of it is is really personal things I wouldn't consider art, but they're very true to my experience. Um, and and other things just to accurately capture and appreciate um, the way of life there. The fact that you have to walk in the street because the sidewalks are for street food and scooter parking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, just there's there's so much going on and so much to capture, and I would go back in a heartbeat. Well, you've certainly inspired me to go there for sure. And, and you know, as John, was, as John was saying, you know, it just like it just correlates like your ability to find beauty in ordinary things is is just remarkable. Like, you know, I, I could go take a picture of a row of scooters and, you know, that'd be like, you know, one of these on my Instagram Uh <laughs> You know, just yeah, okay, that, that's that's boring, but you know, but you do it. <laughs> just the way you're you framed and and your angles and just the way you're 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 telling a story of, with with ordinary things and and that that's just really uh, really incredible. Uh, and when you were there, like, are were there a lot of tourists, a lot of people taking photos, or was or you just, I mean, truly you were a foreign object uh, there. I'm you know, uh, but like in terms of what you were doing, was that very foreign to them? Like just randomly, well, at least what appeared to be randomly taking photographs, or did you just kind of look like any other tourist? Um, I probably looked a fair bit like any other tourist um, in terms of the. Uh... Um, the habit of, of taking photos. Yeah, it was my looks that definitely made me stand out and probably uh, the aesthetic of my camera itself uh, mm-hmm. tends to, to draw some eyes. You mentioned your book. Is that available for sale anywhere? Um, I don't have any copies currently available. I'm planning on um, placing a reorder and getting a, a print shop up on my website. Um, but I was I was blown away by the response. My, my book, it was originally a friend of mine who requested a coffee table book and um, thought it would be great to have, I mean, for my own um, personal records as well, I gifted one to to my parents. And then I had posted on Instagram seeing if anyone would be interested. And I ended up having to place an order for a dozen books. Wow. Um, which, which was absolutely wild to me that people would want my art. Um, and I sometimes even question calling it that, but to have my art, in their homes is such uh, a privilege to me and something I appreciate more than, I mean, well, as, as artists, you would understand. This year, uh, CCR, one of our projects, like, as you know, is highlighting uh, women photographers. And, um, you know, we share admiration for people like Annie Leibowitz, uh, Vivian Meyer, uh, Diane Arbus, my own personal favorite, uh, Julia Margaret Cameron from the 19th century. And as a female photographer, what are your thoughts on you know some of the in- inherent sexism or biases or challenges that you face? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I've been asked this uh, a few times. Uh, my interview with uh, Ali, uh, Ali's Vintage Camera Ali, uh, she had asked this as well. And a lot of the times I'm asked, I'm very quick to dismiss it. It's not something I have have experienced. But the more I've, I've sat with it, um, it's, it's more that I've brushed those experiences aside as they don't fit with how I view the film community, which for the most part has been very respectful, very inclusive um, of, of me and my work. Um, but, but looking back, there have been instances certainly um, where I was asked um, and sometimes it comes across as more of an expectation that um, I would help male photographers with their personal projects uh, to help with their Instagram engagements. Even the most well-intended things can be frustrating because I can certainly see it as a compliment that that my work is admired and um, that I would be skilled enough to be able to assist with these things. But even though my my time and my skill is is being valued, it's also or being like in demand, it's also being undervalued, mm -hmm. uh, which I think is a, a frustrating thing to deal with. Um, and I recently did uh, an Instagram live with. Uh, my friend Merlin, um, who's a huge part of the, the film community here in, in Toronto and uh, at large. And it was really special to me to have, uh, I mean, similar to this, to have this amazing opportunity to have a platform to talk about my work, uh, my inspiration, something that's so important to who I am as a person. Um, and, and someone had started making comments um, as the chat was live about my appearance. Um, and it's when I'm in this moment of passion and talking about something that I find to be quite interesting about myself to have my presence in that moment reduced to something that is for the most part out of my control. Um, and at this point in my life, um, I would hope that my, and yeah, that my looks and my gender would be the least interesting things about me. So th there's certainly work to be done. And the community was was very supportive when I spoke up in that moment. And I know that that a lot of people are doing the, the work that needs to be done, which is really encouraging. That, that is exceptionally well said. And, um, you know, I, and I, I, a lot of, you know, well, my wholehearted opinion on it is I wish it didn't exist, but it does. And there are some wonderful, amazing people in our community. Uh, and then there's some that have a lot of growing up to do. And, uh, and I think to help them grow up, we need strong women, strong people like you to call them out on it, to say, you know what, that that's not acceptable. This is about the work. If you don't like my work, okay, that's that's cool. I can deal with that. Not everybody's going to love me like my mom does, you know, um, but, you know, I can respect somebody that doesn't appreciate the, the same way that I see things, but you're absolutely right. Like that's what you look like how you dress, how you do your hair, whether or not you choose or not to choose to wear makeup, what your gender is, what your sexual or orientation might be, has absolutely nothing to do with the work that you decide to present to the, to the world. Now, all of those things, not, notwithstanding, have an influence on how you produce your work, but that's not what your work is about. Your work is about your work, and you should be criticized. Your work should be criticized. You as a human being, I, I really feel, should not be. And one thing I'll throw in, I said it uh, 
when we we had this topic coming up, come up a couple of episodes ago that what's really important it's not just a question of uh, women calling out men it's what's really critical is men need to call that uh, we need to call each other out as Absolutely. men it's, it's more our job it shouldn't be a woman's job to have to do this yeah because it's our problem we're the ones causing it so we need to hold each other accountable that's, i think that's the only way that things will will even move forward at all 100% agree. Like, yeah, it, it shouldn't be victims having to point out to the, the fact that they're being victimized. You know, it should be, and I'm using a general term, but perpetrators, aka men that do this, should be called out by men that don't do this. You know, and I, I completely, I 100% agree with you. And, you know, for, you know, for what it's worth, and you certainly don't need, uh, don't need our validation in any way, uh, Alex, but uh, I know we once chatted and you, you said you felt like an imposter. I can assure you, <laughs> You are not an imposter in this mm -hmm. game for sure. Your work speaks for itself, and uh, and I can I can probably list off about three hundred people that wish they could produce the work in the same way that you produce yours. So so don't let that that crap get you down. They're not worth it. <laughs> Thank and, you so and, much. Again, and again, as for feeling like an imposter, I think that is such a common feeling among among artists in any in any genre because i think to be an artist and to channel creativity you, you have to be open to your own feelings mm -hmm. and of course you can get the good and the not so good with that so i think this constant feelings of self-doubt it's it's not just you i think it's it's anyone who has half a brain cell plus their camera feels for sure that. Yeah, I think um, it takes a lot of, of vulnerability to create meaningful, meaningful art. Um, and yeah, I mean, I certainly have had moments where I feel like an imposter and question, should I be talking about my mental health so publicly when I there is still a, a stigma? But art ultimately to me is about connection. And it's been so rewarding in knowing that people have connected with, with what I've created in some way, uh, whether it's the way that I've intended or they've taken away their, their own meaning from it. Um, it. It means the world to me. I think that's, that's so true. And, and just the very fact that you're so open about who you are and what you've dealt with to get you to the point where, of where you are in your life today. I mean, that, that is what I, why I think your work, um, ever, a lot of people are very drawn to it. And it's simply because you choose to be vulnerable as uncomfortable as it is. And, um, you know, uh, having the confidence to put, you know, your view of the world out there on the internet of all places, you know, that it's not only brave, um, but it is also inspiring to anyone that is dealing with similar issues, um, or any other kind of issue that has a similar impact on their life. It just takes one person to put their stuff out there to say, you know, quote unquote, air their dirty laundry and not that it's dirty, but you, you, I'm sure you get the analogy, but um, you know, and so, it, you know, at least my, in my humble opinion, I think that's a good thing that you're doing being so comfortable about talking about your own struggles with mental health and how, what you're doing to cope and, and, and just look at what the outcome is. So it's absolutely inspirational. I think. Thank you so much. All right, so lighter topic. I know that you have. A, let's just let's just. I can't think of a segue to come out of that and like make a joke or anything. So we'll just talk awkwardly for the next five minutes. How about that? 
enough of this. Uh, okay, we're getting very spiritual and very cerebral here. So let's uh, <laughs> let's get it back to what this damn podcast is all about. You are not so afflicted by gas, at least not yet. Has that changed at all? <laughs> no, I've I've always been pretty minimal, minimalist uh, in my gear, and that's always been pretty intentional. So the the camera I first learned on the Voigtlander, uh, that remains in my dad's collection. But I picked up a Zeiss Icon Netar, um, and that was the camera that I used exclusively <clears throat> for the first two years that I was cool. shooting film. And that's the 6x9? It's a 6x6. Yeah, very similar uh, to the Voigtlander that I learned on, which is why um, I I did buy this one. But I loved being limited to 12 shots on a roll, to a fixed lens, um, and forcing me to learn the the limitations and the capabilities of that focal length. Um, I, I think I had maybe three usable shutter speeds um, on that that camera. Um, not a very fast lens. So it really forced me to, to learn the technical side um, when I didn't have any sort of formal training. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, forced me to, to kind of find my, my style and, and adapt uh, to, to find the shot that I was looking for. It wasn't until um, two years later that I, I branched out into 35 millimeter. I wanted a little more flexibility to explore creatively. Um, and I got my Canon A1, um, which I absolutely love. It's my go-to travel camera. Um, a friend of mine lent me his Veronica ETRS, um, and I fell in love with the sound that the the mirror makes when it slaps up um it's it's just music to my ears um so I naturally had to buy one of those but for the most part I'm I'm happy with having uh less gear the more I have the harder it is for me to make a decision of what am I gonna shoot today I'd rather just uh take one camera one lens one film stock and and be, be forced to deal with the limitations that that brings me. I think that's an excellent discipline. And I think not enough I people wish I start it. off that way. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, it's, it's really important when you start off, like back back in the 70s. Yeah, I'm old. My first SLR my parents helped me buy was a Yashica Teal Electro. You know, it came with a 50 millimeter lens. And for at least two, maybe three years, that was the only lens I had. So I learned the crap out of what a 50 millimeter lens looks like, mm-hmm. as opposed to someone who starts off like, you know, either with a dozen primes or gets like a 28 to 300 monster zoom lens. Uh, that's not a good thing. Yeah. You'll drown. That's true. And uh, it's funny, I, uh, when we were prepping for the uh, our chat today, um, I told Alexandria that she was a child of Zion, like in the Matrix. Uh, <laughs> she never went to digital first for somebody of that of the digital generation. Um, and even though I, I believe your dad has, is, is, has or is or was pressuring you to kind of move into the digital space, but you're you're holding strong and being a pure analog human. So so good for you so far. <laughs> Not, not that so there's far, anything wrong my bank account stuff. might disagree, but <laughs> but uh, no, that and it's 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 interesting because a lot of um, at least in my experience, probably in the last ten years, the majority of um, the younger generation getting into film photography has typically explored digital first, mm-hmm. um, and then you know thought film as some kind of oh this is kind of cool I can do some really retro vintage out there kind of unexposed 
uh, underexposed photography very well and, and call myself an artist. But it seems like you've really, you've just gone, you know, right into the belly of the beast, taking your, your hard knocks and, and learning, um, uh, you know, in some, in some happy and not so happy accidents and just kind of developed your skill over the last few years, which I, which I think is incredible. What would you say to anyone that is trying to get in or, or wanting to explore film photography today? Any advice? To not get caught up in what other people are, are shooting um, and, and find your own, your personal style. What is it that you want to express? What's the story that you want to tell? Um, make it personal. And I think um, the people that appreciate your work will, will find it. Excellent. And in your journey so far, tell us about your most painful experience. Have you burned a roll of film yet? Have you blanked a role? Have you done anything where you're just like, I can't believe I just did that? Well, the other day I just opened my camera and there was <laughs> half a roll uh, still waiting to be shot in there. Um, Vietnam was was one of my my bigger mistakes. I um, didn't bring a spare battery for my my Canon, and of course, of of all the the places I visited on that trip. I was in Ninbin and a little bit more remote than some of the cities I was staying in. Um, missed out on probably about a day of, of shooting and just oh, no. trying and trying to, to press that shutter and hoping that it would fire. And it would occasionally, but yeah, yeah lots of, of shots were, were missed. Ah, that's the worst. Especially when you know it's your fault too. You're just like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, like we said before, film photography keeps you humble. Like I've had two roles ruined in a row now like i'm going out later today hoping to get back on a winning streak and i've been doing this craps for 50 years yeah, yeah. john and i are going to go shoot uh, in the beaches today if you if you're in, if you're in the mood come out and join us <laughs> fantastic we're gonna go get very very cold yeah it's 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 a chilly one out there for sure that's, but hey that's... the temperature is matched only by the lousy light well, welcome to Toronto. Yeah, people want people always ask. Well, that's a good that's a very good segue there, John. How how are you dealing with the 900 days of gray that we have to deal with generally here in in our colder months? Do you do you is that tougher for you to I mean it's tougher for all of us in general, I think to find colors and things like that. Um is there any any thing you're working on or uh, any suggestions on how to deal with that? Um so I typically don't shoot a whole lot in the winter at all. Um, I am very happily indoors. Um, in March or April, I set up uh, my home dark room and have started printing. Um, and that's what I found myself doing last night. And um, my plan to kind of get through winters, um, shoot in the summer, fall, spring, and then when winter comes, hold my dark room and really bring the art to life. Um, yeah. I don't edit my photos digitally, um, not from a not from a place of condescension of oh, film is more true than than digital or anything like that. I simply don't have the skill, um, and I have a history of concussions, so I try and limit my screen time when I can, um, and just have had no desire to really learn um, the skill to to edit my photos. So to be able to take a negative into the dark room and edit it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. Um, right now, I'm I'm still learning a ton um, about darkroom printing, but focusing on 
split grade printing, uh, dodging and burning. I'm sure there's plenty of more advanced techniques that I'll uh, come to learn. Um, but it's been so rewarding to see um, what I get straight from a scan versus uh, a print in its fullest potential. Well, for someone that just that just built their dark room and is starting to to do that, like to to have the knowledge how to do split split grade uh, printing, that that's pretty impressive. Like that's generally a bit more of an advanced skill. So hey, good for you. That that's awesome. Thanks. Credit goes to um, Lena Bessanova. Uh, she's well, yes, on yes. YouTube and yeah. yeah, I love her videos. She's yeah. uh, been a great resource for me. Yeah. I love her kind of in your face presentation. You got to do this. You got to do this. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Lena is awesome. She's, uh, she's great. Very cool for her to become a, uh, uh, I guess, brand ambassador, or whatever they're, they're calling her these days, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, very like just one of an amazing, an amazing darkroom talent and photographic talent as well too. Excellent. So we're approaching the end um, of our chat today. What's next on your on your hit list photographically? Um, so I have a few projects um, on hold. Uh, my uh, my hand project working title is is Talk with Your Hands, uh, mm. partially up on on my website. Mostly centered around um, mental health um, was the initial inspiration for that project. Um, I used to bite my nails and pick my cuticles till they bled. At any point in time, you could tell the state of my mental health by looking at my hands. Mm. Um, And it got me starting to think about appearances and the stories they tell and the assumptions we make um, about people based on their appearance. Um, And then another personal part of that project is um, in remembering my my grandmother um, who had lost a finger um, raising three boys as a, a widow on her own and just wanting to capture people's stories in this, um, well, I find an intimate way is a, a close look at, at people's hands. Um, but of course, shooting in close quarters with a lot of people right now is not, <laughs> not no. recommended. Um, no. And yeah, I have been trying to uh, improve my, my portraiture in general and I have some projects um, in the works there, but whenever it's, it's safe to get some, some models uh, in close quarters again. Um, in the meantime, just, yeah, working on, on printing and probably reading my Ilford manual photography that I picked up and trying to learn some of the stuff that I've missed out on these past few years. Excellent. So, so maybe our last question, Alexandria, is where can people find your work online? Um, so you can find me on Instagram at Alexandria Yar. Um, I'm not on there too often these days, um, but you can certainly contact me through my website, alexandriayar.com. And that Yar is spelled J-A-H-R. That's correct, yeah. It's Yar, not Jar. <laughs> and and both James and I would definitely recommend people checking out uh, your work on your website. It's, it's quite incredible. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Alex is definitely a shining star in our community here in Toronto, and we're really happy to have you as part of the community. And uh, just want to want to thank you so much um, uh, for joining us today. And uh, just to let the listeners know, look out for our uh, Women on Film Wednesdays. We're going to be featuring Alex's work very shortly, probably around the same time we publish this, uh, this podcast. So I would really love to come up with one of our, you know, corny quasi-offensive uh, sound bites here, but I'm, I'm probably a little bit stuck for being a jerk right now. So <laughs> all I want to say is uh, this is James Lee. Thank you for listening. Uh, be brave. Get out there. 
shoot, show the world who you are through your lens and just get out there and have fun. I'm Alexandria Yar, and reminding you to stay positive and shoot negative. And this is John Meadows. Normally, it's my job to come up with a really offensive tagline for the end, but I'm not in the mood. So I'm going to say, just like uh, Alexandria's blog is titled Chasing the Light, chase the light and you'll find it. <laughs>